Adjustments Podcast. My name is Charlie Gross. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Charlie underscore Gross underscore. We are a part of the Built in Buffalo Podcasting Network. I also just started my own YouTube show with my co-host Izzy on Friday nights at 9 o'clock. I hope that you would be willing to check that out. And I've got a great show for you today. Uh, it's draft season, obviously, but it's two weeks away from the draft. A very special guest from Expand the Box Score to talk some draft talk with me. Bills Mafia, I have another special guest for you today. I have Paul Duncan, the scouting coordinator for Expand the Box Score, an awesome site. A little new on the scene, I guess you'd say, but nevertheless excited to have him here today. How you doing, man? I'm doing uh, doing great. You know, it's always good to come uh, come on to shows and actually like talk to uh, the people who we follow on Twitter and interact <laughs> with every once in a while. So it's uh, it's good. It's a good reminder to be like, hey, that that person behind a Twitter account actually exists, and they have a face, and they might have like a family and friends, and they may even yeah. eat food or breathe. Like, yeah, it's, really it's fun. You know, it's it's nice. I love networking and and uh, building relationships with all the the draft guys because I'm I'm stepping into that in the next draft cycle but yeah it is it's sometimes it's hard to remember that it actually is a person um <laughs> you know and it's, I'm, i get a little sick of talking to the twitter accounts i like talking to the the person um before we get into some of the guys expand the box score to me kind of just came out of nowhere um you know as at least from my perspective you know i've been following and and the draft network and stuff like that but you guys have done i got your draft guide you guys have done a fantastic job you got a, a what i think is a lot of scouts um you know under your umbrella so talk about just expand the box score a little bit before we get into the actual prospects okay yeah and before the uh, expand the box score i think i should, it should actually kind of get prefaced with um like how we got there so uh my goal in 20 for the 2020 draft was to like write my own draft guide and i didn't really care about the media aspect of it i didn't care about selling copies i just wanted to make it so i can send it to all the nfl teams and just be like hello i'm paul i exist i (laughs) scout players here's my experience with pff and sports info solutions please network with me. And um, in doing so, you know, I, I quickly realized one that in order to write a draft guide, you need to have a super duper solid foundation. Like you need to know exactly what traits you're going to be scouting for all kinds of players. You need to know exactly what your scales are, because if you don't have that set up, then you'll just kind of be confused scouting because you kind of like don't have that like structure that you need. Right. And, um, So that was what I kind of built for my own little personal one. And then I went to the senior bowl. I had like 15 copies of my scout, um, like a 15 page little version of what I was making. And I tried showing it to all the scouts. I tried showing it to like all the people I could at the senior bowl. And while all the scouts had nice things to say about it, they thought it looked nice. They thought it, um, uh, they thought I did a good job, like, but none of them were like, Hey, go talk to this guy in HR and we're going to start really, uh, (laughs) right. Um, but what I did find was like another, uh, another guy who, um, was also kind of writing scouting reports and really liked my vision. Uh, he worked, it was Searle Penn. He worked at sports info solutions in like 2018 or 2019. And I uh, worked there in 2017. So we both kind of got influenced uh, by the same like people, the same, uh, we, 
our, when we first started scouting, we were trained by the same person. So our methods and stuff were kind of like similar. And we decided that um, we, uh, we should like work together and actually start like working as a team to um, start putting scouting reports together. And we ended up uh, posting our scouting reports on DraftRight when John Vogel was there. Oh, yeah. I, I, I worked at DraftRight with you guys for probably a week. Ah. And then we all, we all left. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was there like right there. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, uh, while we were at DraftRight, we, um, we were, you know, we were, start, we were putting our scouting reports there and we were like kind of building our team and we were kind of taking a lot of the old people who worked at Sports Info Solutions and bringing, them, uh, bringing, bringing some of them in. I um, do stuff at PFF and I was like talking out like the message boards there and we're finding ta- uh, talented scouts there. Um, and we just, you know, we, we found like a group of 10 people that eventually like turned into like 14, I think. And um, we were writing there and then, yeah, the whole draft right stuff happened uh, to put it in short and to put it as politely as possible. Um, <laughs> John Vogel was tweeting more about politics than he was about um, sports. And we were kind of like, hey, you know, not all of us share your exact same political beliefs. And, you know, you're kind of given like, you're kind of putting like a little stink over your website. And then, like, I think Steven Ruiz decided to go, like, uh, straight up calling uh, Vogel, like, a whole bunch of awful names and started bringing up old tweets and started move, uh, moving that whole machine. And we were, uh, we were just kind of like, yeah, let's kind of just move out of this. So, like, it's, it's draft writing. This isn't supposed to be, like, drama. And this guy was bringing us right. into drama. Right. We looked around, and then uh, Ryan Roberts introduced us to Andy Singleton, who runs Expand the Box Score, which is just which um, keeps track of like a whole bunch of stats for college sports. It's like the cheapest way you can get like college target statistics. They do a bunch of stuff like the breakout age and college dominator at a really like affordable price. And he said he wanted to add more content in addition to like the statistics. They wanted a content wing, and he always said he wanted to work with, with like draft and NFL draft type people and work on building a draft guide so he said that he had like the graphic design uh the graphic design skills that we lacked he had the platform that we lacked and we kind of had that special skill that he did um in the manpower hours that he didn't have uh throw in a pandemic which made uh really kind of threw our jobs and personal lives in a loop and gave us a lot more time to uh to work on things um and Use, uh, using the methods that um, I made for my own personal draft guide and, you know, just kind of strengthening them up and talking with a whole bunch of people to make sure every single trait and every single number and every single sentence of every single piece of our guideline made sense. We had, um, we had the skeleton, we had the structure, we had the people, we had the platform. So yeah, we made a 421 page draft guide, which is, I think, even though it's our first year very well um compares very well to every other draft guide i've seen on the market yeah no i mean it's very well put together um i i am subscribed to it i i just downloaded it onto my computer um yeah i love it i think it's great i I love just even the layout like the colors you guys chose i know that sounds probably silly to some people but visually it's very appealing um like i said i know a lot of the people um who work at expand the box score um and NFL Draft Bible, actually, I, I, for some reason, I seem to know a lot of those guys, at least uh, internet-wise, I know them. And I want to talk more with you about scouting and exactly how you 
you learned how to scout what your process is. But before we do that, we got to get into some prospects. The mafia wants some prospects. Uh, what are the bills doing at 30? Some of the possibilities. So let's start with something that a lot of people probably don't feel like is a huge need for the bills. Um, I think it's a big need and that's offensive guards. You know, they have Cody Ford second round pick. They've got John Feliciano who they signed a few years from the Raiders. But to me um, and to, and to other people, it's a bit of an unknown there. We, at least we want to create some more competition. So what are your thoughts about some of the top offensive guards or maybe some guys that'll, that'll fit the bills um, style of uh, play? I know a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, Leatherwood or Wyatt Davis or guys like that. So w- what are your thoughts? Hmm. All right. Well, the interior offensive line class is very difficult because it can be difficult just to even agree on who's actually a guard and who's a tackle. <laughs> I know that like, that's like a whole discussion of, um, for like Leatherwood, we have Leatherwood as a tackle. Um, we have Elijah Vera Tucker as a guard. Um, I think for the most part, if we were kind of um, in uh, on the uh, verge of, oh, I don't really know if this is a tackle or a guard. We just we just kept him in the tackle. There were even like some players where I'm like, hey, we should definitely move this guy into. Um, like I think it was like Cyrus Tuatele, who's like a late round PFA kind of guy. I'm like, we need to move this guard guy to guard. Then I'm also just like, he's a five six. He's a high priority free agent. It doesn't really matter uh, right. that like, much. Yeah, are we really arguing about this guy that much? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, you you should you should see some of the text messages I've um I've uh, I was having with uh, Cyril, my partner. Um, we had like a ten like a. 30 minute almost text argument about Ryan McCullum versus Brett Hedgie for who should be our center 10 in our guidebook. Oh boy. <laughs> like, yeah. No, nobody's, uh, nobody's out there. Uh, <laughs> that. But um, for guards our our guard number one. And here you go. You guys can take a, take a look at um, the guide. We have Wyatt Davis as our uh, guard. Number one, uh, the scout who did it was also from Michigan, which even makes uh, this more impressive. <laughs> right. Um, so the things that is most like striking about him is his combination of like play strength and flexibility. He got sevens for both and sevens mean we think that if he's going to be top half of NFL starters day one in those said traits. So, you know, you're going to be getting kind of like a guy who's going to be strong, but it's also going to kind of last and kind of has like the knees to keep a good pad level. Uh, we think he can uh, start right away at right, gu- uh, right guard, which is primarily where he played in college. And, um, even though his recovery isn't really like the best, we still think the overall skill set is that of a starting guard in the NFL. And I think people have been kind of like over scouting him. I know he did really well in 2019, but didn't really take that like giant step forward in 2020 and are kind of like um, kind of nailing him for that. But I still think what you're getting in Wyatt Davis is a starting guard and somebody who that if you take him at pick 30, like, uh, a lot of draft media people might be surprised, but he's definitely a player who can come in and start right away. Yeah. He's a guy who I feel like I don't, I don't, he's fallen and I don't know why. Yeah. Like I didn't hear anything bad about him. You know, he maybe can only play one spot. So maybe that's the problem, but he's a guy who a lot of people were high on. I was high on. And then over the past couple months, 
I just kind of see him see him falling farther and farther, and I really didn't understand it at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure if that's like a me, uh, a media-driven uh, thing or if it's a team-driven thing that the teams are seeing something that uh, we are not, and you know, that's kind of like the kind of like the fun of the draft. Like, <laughs> um, what is it? Yeah, my um, the closest thing I have to a uh, to a source um, still kind of has Wyatt Davis as um, the 29th overall player in the draft. So yeah, he um, he's very connected to the NFL and he kind of knows the stuff. And yeah, he um, that's where he has him at 29th. So yeah, Wyatt Davis would be a very um, very good pick and is somebody that we have uh, over guys like Elijah Vera Tucker, who. Um, I know he's get, he gets a lot of the hype and the buzz, but we're a little little concerned about like how well he is as an athlete. We understand he's okay. a great technician, but when you're limited in something as important as athleticism at that at that position, we're going to rate you a little bit lower than consensus. Right. So in that in that, so I guess what I'm saying is in that thing, then he's you know he may be more limited in terms of what kind of scheme and, and, and blocking they'd have to run, right? Like he may not be perfect for, for zone or gap blocking and may just be better in a, you know, in more of a man, man blocking um, type of thing. I mean, is that kind of what you're, when, you know, athleticism for guards are usually viewed as, okay, you know, working in space as opposed to, you know, working more in a phone booth, stuff like that. Yeah, and that's why in our summary, uh, we always include what type of system that we think he would be best in. So we have a scheme section that tells him like what he did um, in college. And they, uh, then, yeah, for Wyatt Davis, we said he's a scheme versatile, but fits best as a right guard in a primarily a zone-based system where he can, you know, kind of take advantage of his combination of uh, athleticism and, uh, right. and, yeah, athleticism and strength. So that's kind of one of the uh, cool things that you can look into there. With um, what Bills primarily Bills primarily run uh run inside zone right? Yeah, they were they were doing a lot of uh, man blocking, and then last year they kind of switched to to a lot of zone more zone blocking, um, and that was kind of what we maybe attribute some of their struggles to is that is that they just kind of switched schemes and maybe they didn't have all the guys necessary to run it all of a sudden. So they see certainly seem to be trending more to a zone, a zone based scheme. Okay. Then yeah, we have Wyatt Davis as a, our best, uh, more zone type of uh, blocker. Trey Smith is our best gap blocker. And um, I think Vera Tucker. Yeah. He, they, we project him as a left, uh, left guard. I don't, it doesn't mention uh, what scheme he would be best in there. And then Aaron Banks is one of our best pass protectors. So, yep. The, um, and then here is, uh, let's get you a top 10. Here's our top, uh, top 11 uh, guards in, uh, in our class so far this year. Oh, that's really cool. That's awesome that you guys have that. So what do yeah. you think, what do you think of uh, Quinn Miners? Quinn Miners, I mean, we we had him on our board. We kind of knew he was one of the best Division three prospects, but you know, it's kind of like difficult when you you don't have film. So we weren't able to get film on him till late, and uh, we had one scout that was so excited to scout him, and uh, yeah, he looked at him, and 
I mean, it's tough scouting D3 players. There's just such a major, like, when you're blocking against future accountants and bankers and guys who are going to be managers at grocery stores or whatnot at D3, it's going to be incredibly different between going against that and against NFL players. And, like, there's only so dominant you can be on the offensive, offensive line. There's only so much that you can kind of show how you can do. But, yeah, we thought – uh, we thought Quinn was able to take care, do everything that was asked of him. Um, yeah, we, lo- we loved his aggressiveness, strong as an ox, but I guess we never really had a chance to see that athleticism that he showed in the pro days on film. You know, like, yeah, right. it's a tough eval. Right, yeah, I, I understand. I get you what you're saying on that. Um, <clears throat> is there any other, uh, any other guys you want to point out and guard before we move to uh, the wide receivers? Ooh, let's see if we can find a good sleeper for you guys. Um, I'll actually go an anti-sleeper and go with the guy that uh, I scouted. That's been getting a lot of first round buzz. Deontay Brown is interesting because uh, not only like some people view him as a first rounder and other people view him as like a seventh rounder, maybe as a guy who shouldn't even be drafted. I am more towards the um, end of, yeah, he's not very that good. Uh, Yes, he's strong, but that's really his kind of his only trait. He just doesn't move very well. And Alabama was kind of able to um, hide a lot of his issues with, with movement so I think at the next level, he's going to need to really thin, uh, thin up or thin down in order to right. really have a chance to have any type of success. And like the, him coming to the senior bowl at 364, oh boy. That's, not, that's not a good sign. I mean, he came back in at his pro day at 344, but you know, he's just going to be one of those guys that like, if he comes into training camp at 370, like he's not, he's might get cut or but right. if he comes in at three thirty and ready to go, and he stopped, uh, he stopped, eat, he stops eating uh, mom's barbecue. Which is, <laughs> that's uh, if you read articles, that's one of the reasons he got so big. Is his mom was a gra- uh, great Southern chef. Yeah, then, man, they'll get you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'd be fat if I had Southern barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. So yeah, that's um that's kind of the a little overview of the uh, of the guards. Guards is definitely a position that can be it's very subjective. It can be a little bit difficult to scout. You really kind of have to know uh, have to know your stuff. But um yeah, I think I think uh, drafting a guard there would not be a bad decision at at thirty. Yeah, I feel like when you're at thirty, it really opens you up to a lot of things. Um, you know, even like trade backs and stuff like that. Um. Well, let's take let's take a look at some wide receivers. Um, you know, Sean McDermott, when they signed Emmanuel Sanders, said, you know, you, you want to make sure that you don't lose your fastball, and the Bills' fastball is spreading the field in in ten and eleven personnel and letting Josh Allen throw it all over the place. So, in my view, the Bills can never have enough young wide receivers. I know Elijah Moore is someone that Joe Marino talks a lot about. A lot of people talk about Bateman. Um, and even guys like on the back end, like um, Daz Newsom, the uh, the kid from Illinois, whose name I don't pronounce well. Matter baby. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And now, now, now here I'm. A, and the other guy I really like, and you can you can say this one for me too, is the kid from Iowa, uh, Amir Smith Merset. There you go. Yeah, and and because the Bills released Andre Roberts, well, they didn't release him. They didn't resign him. So we're looking for some kick return guys, maybe two in the on on day three as well. So 
Um, Ooh, kick return guys. Yeah. So I lo- love your thoughts on that as well. All right. So if you, it, it, I just could, can't really imagine the Bills taking a wide receiver at number one, especially a wide receiver like Elijah Moore, because I just can't imagine Elijah Moore playing on the outside. Like the track record of small wide receivers succeeding is just so low. Like that was one of the first things that, um, that I was looking at. Like when I saw Rondale Moore was came in at five, seven, I was like, has there ever been a wide receiver at five, seven, who's ever done anything. And pro football reference has like a great tool in stat head where you can literally like sort it out. And what I came to realize is, is like, for small receivers, it's pretty much been, um, and by small, I mean like five, uh, five nine and under 180. So pretty much all you have is like Deshaun Jackson, Jamison Crowder, and Cole Beasley. So when I see like Elijah Moore and people talking about him as a first rounder, I'm like the best wide receivers with his size and his stature. I believe he's five nine in um five nine in a uh, five nine and a half one seventy four. Were yeah, Jamison Crowder and Cole Beasley, and like Cole Beasley's yeah. great. We all love Cole Beasley, but would we, if he was a rookie and we could have his whole career, would we take that in the first round? Probably not. Right. I mean, that's excuse me, that's probably something you can find, you know, day two or day three two. Um, yeah, I guess maybe people were just saying it because they felt like I think he he was listed in college at like five eleven, right? So then you get into like that's like kind of like Emmanuel Sanders territory in terms of like you know, kind of a similar build. Um, but I see your point with a 5'9", you know, uh, 170 guy. You can get to 180 on an NFL weight room like T.Y. Hilton then becomes a, a really a really nice cop for him. But, like, that's – I don't want him to be losing any of his speed. Like, right. yeah, Elijah Moore has great hands. He's got good route running and good run after catch ability. Like, we know he can be a good slot receiver. But you have Cole Beasley. So if you draft him round number one – Right. Like you're, you're kind of, you're kind it's kind of like a redundant choice in my opinion. So um, if I were you guys, um, I probably wouldn't touch re- wide receiver in round one or round two. And I would definitely be more interested in taking, uh, trying to find like another Gabriel Davis type player who you could take in round three to four. Who yeah, maybe sure. uh, uh, Take that Cole Beasley rule down the line. So have you um so with wide receivers, you're definitely looking for speedier guys. You're definitely looking for quick guys who can be return men, who can probably have like some out, inside outside versatility. Is that what you would say you would mostly want in a wide yeah. receiver right now? Right. I mean, I mean, just I think the most important thing right now, yeah. And then and then certainly going into the future, the Bills just want separators. Like they don't care about the guy's height almost. You know. Like they just want great root runners, but yeah, right now it's okay. We need somebody who's going to be able to return kicks. <laughs> well, here, uh, I guess um, a guy that we can introduce to you is um, I'll show you a Daz Newsome uh, screen sharing, right? There you go. Yeah. Daz Newsome, man. Daz Newsome has some of the best route, uh, best route running. Uh, in the class, he's a little, a little bit taller, a little bit thicker than Elijah Moore. His hands really aren't, aren't as solid. But if you're looking for somebody who can be both uh, like shift, uh, shifty in his breaks and shifty after the catch, 
this is kind of the guy that you are going to be looking at. Yeah, it says here, Daz Newsom is an advanced route runner who shows very good precision on short and intermediate routes. He does a good, um, so that's going to be kind of something that could maybe replace Cole Beasley eventually as he gets older in age or you let him go for, due to contractual reasons. And um, uh, somebody that I think fits what you need um, for if you want kind of more of like a good kickoff returner type uh, guy, yeah, Amir Smith-Merced is probably your dude. Inside and outside capability, seven play speed. So this guy's going to be, this guy's going to have like 90 plus speed in Madden. This guy's going to have the juice to return kicks. He kind of struggled his senior year due to poor quarterbacking play, but in his junior year, he was far more electric. And uh, he seems to be one of those guys who's going to be playing who will play better as a pro than he did in college. Those guys are normally pretty rare. But when you have that speed, that run after catch ability, you know, just being that good old fashioned home run threat, that's kind of the guy you stick out on kick returns uh, and hope he kind of develops, you know, that release, those hands, uh, route running that he would need to be a starter later. But, you know, physical tools, it's all there for Amir Smith-Merset. Yeah. Yeah. He's a guy who I, I, I really like. I, I always try to get him in my mock drafts when I'm doing my mock drafts on the, the simulator. And I think they're, the Bills, to your point, the Bills are probably looking for a guy like this, a guy who has some returnability, who they can get into the building, get into the system, get into the culture, and who has the, the skill set that they can develop. So maybe in, you know, a year or two. When, when they need a guy to, to step in, whether it's to number two or if Davis, you know, Gabe Davis makes that jump and they need a, a fourth guy. So I think these are probably the types of guys that the Bills are going to be interested, you know, day three guys, like, you know, stuff like that. Other kick return guy, K, uh, K. Johnson. He's got a little bit more reliable hands. He's in kind of like the, uh, a smaller guy. Uh, I know Shy Smith gets a lot of uh, Shy Smith gets a lot of attention, but he's kind of another strictly slot receiver type of player. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's just so much talent at wide receiver that you can that you can find even like in the later rounds, like wide receivers deep every year, wide receiver, and right. it's you're just picking your flavor at a certain point. Yeah, that's that's what I definitely have noticed the past couple of years. It's like the the draft is just like littered with receivers. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be littered again next year. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think so. Um, is there anyone else you, you wanted to touch on uh, with wide receivers? All right. I'll give you, um, I'll give you my, uh, my sleeper. So I did the report on Dax Milne, the wide receiver from uh, BYU. And he was the guy catching all of those deep bombs from Zach Wilson. Uh, very productive. And the thing that just kind of impressed me most about him were just his hands. Now, when I scout hands, I don't just scout, oh, this guy drops passes, this guy doesn't drop passes. I right. try to look to see, you know, is he making hands catches? Is he, like, catching it, bo- uh, catching it, needs to, like, bobble it to get control? Does, is he able to, like, catch balls away from his body through contact? And not only does Jax Milne, like, rarely ever drop uh, passes um he's able to make plays through contact like if you've noticed if you watch a lot of those Zach Wilson highlights there will be like a corner in a defensive uh the corner in Dax Mill and Dax Mill has like a step to a half step of separation like and when he goes up for the ball he was able to catch the ball through contact um so being a, he had a very advanced 
um, understanding of how to do that. Now, the issue for him is kind of size and speed. So at six, uh, at six foot ha uh, half inch, 193 pounds, I'm really not entirely sure how well he's going to handle physically. Uh, stack up physically against those corners especially since he only has like high four five type speed right okay and as a slot receiver he really didn't have like that juice in and out of his cuts and i really didn't see much as for like a run after catch kind of screen type of guy so you're essentially kind of asking him to be like a jump ball guy or like a contested catch type player and use those really gifted hands in tough situations even though he may not have the athleticism to go along with it but my kind of thinking is is like if he can continuously make those, those tough catches and if he has those extra special hands, like he ha he's got way better release and way better technique out the line of scrimmage than you would think a junior wide receiver from BYU would have. And it uh, seems like the guy that's going to kind of surprise a lot of people. But it's just kind of tough to see because he has like one major weakness at both like the outside receiver position and the inside receiver position. So yeah, if you think hands trump all, Dax Milne might be your guy. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, like I said, that's kind of what the Bills look for. They, they just want separators. They want guys who can get off the line, you know, and obviously everybody wants the Tyreek Hill speed, but let's be real. That, that doesn't come along that often. So as long as you can get Josh Allen, some separators who can catch the ball, they'll find a way to make it work. Before we switch to the defensive side of the ball, everyone who comes on here, whether they're a podcaster or a writer, I always like to get sort of there's, their story or how they got into the business or any tips they have for somebody else who's trying to get into the business. Um, because I think there's a lot of people out there who, whether they, they want to write, they want a podcast, they want to get more into scouting. And, and I was that guy. I didn't really know how to get into it. You know, and I, I, I ended up going the, the scouting Academy route. So what is take, tell people a little bit about how did you learn like how to scout, you know, like, and and what is like your process because everybody has you know a little bit different right like everyone looks for not every trade is the same so tell people how you got into that uh well i got into scouting when i first went to the senior bowl scout school in 2017 i made a really great uh connection at uh, bowling green state university uh i met a guy who knew phil savage who was at the senior bowl at the time and said that he really liked me and he thought that i would really get along well with him um, we like we just kind of both had like a similar similar energies and the fact that like I met Phil Savage like when I was in seventh grade go, being a big Browns fan just, oh, that's I'm, cool I'm, yep I'm from <laughs> Cleveland so I had the opportunity to learn from him and then I immediately went over to Sports Info Solutions as like my first job out of college where I was getting paid not paid a lot to <laughs> essentially watch football for 40 hours a week and um, yeah it was great and I learned pretty much like all of your your like football 202 stuff like how exactly do you tell the difference between inside and outside zone what exactly do um does it mean when somebody says a counter trap um i know what a cover one and a cover two are but what the heck is a cover six um so i started <laughs> learning um learning those things and those kind of terminologies there and um i was able to uh the head of it was Matt Manicharian, who used to be a scout for the Browns and the Saints. Um, he kind of taught us the, uh, the stuff that he learned over there, what kind of traits they look for, and um, 
just kind of how to watch film and understand that. And I took the stuff that he like gave me and um, I used it. And then as I kept on scouting and using his system more, I tried to think, oh, this doesn't really make sense. Oh, this trait may have mattered in 2013, but doesn't really matter as much now. So I just kind of uh, simplified the process, um, took the stuff I didn't really like, uh, like to scout out or the stuff that I thought was like too situational or could be combined in with another trait and um, tried to make it as easy for me to understand as possible. So um, that was kind of what I uh, used to learn. Um, after SIS, I then went to PFF to uh, watch football for money, but not a lot of money. And um, <laughs> That's a common theme for those of you. You wonder why people who are in the, the football content creation work for more than one place at a time a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, every, every, everybody should. Like, um. I've honestly think the best way of like visualizing this is to kind of just understand that it has to be a hobby for you. Like there are so few people who get paid enough to live, uh, paid enough to like pay rent, get food and actually like go on vacations and attract a future mate to, um, <laughs> uh, to do all that is just very, very thin. And like, unless you come, unless your like dad works for a newspaper or like you have like really incredible connections. Like it's, it's just, you're going to need to go get a job at an insurance company and do this on the weekend. <laughs> Seems to be kind of uh, what, what I've noticed. I'm waiting for your response, Huntington bank. I've been, I've just, <laughs> I interviewed with them twice. I'm waiting. <laughs> so um, yeah, definitely got to think of it as being a hobby. Um, definitely got to kind of remind yourself that there's so much of this stuff out and there's only so much ad revenue stuff can get. And like, even the people who probably runs like whatever little blog that you work for, they're probably not making hardly any money either. So it's like, nobody's really even profiting off of you, your work. So uh, I definitely would say recon uh, recognize that it's uh, a football content creation is a hobby. If you uh, want money out of out of it and want to be like a real football guy work with your college's football team like just walk in and say i'll volunteer to do anything within the football offices or help out with the sid just always be doing something involving the sport you love if you're still in college if you're out of college you just got to do things if you want a podcast buy a mic for 50 bucks uh get a copy of audacity it's it's free watch like three youtube videos on how to put stuff on there like right yeah that's what i did yeah, learn uh, learn about cloud convert and how to convert MP MP3s to waves to MP4s. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes, that's what I do with all these. I'm like, oh, I gotta convert all these things, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you use cloud convert. Yeah. See, see, like, um, the first one that popped up on Google. So I was exactly. like, hey. And you would be super, um, and also be like aware of whatever like normal skills you have from your job. Like, um, it's not that difficult to find like a good football writer, but finding a good football writer who understands how to work a Google spreadsheet or knows how to deal with graphic design. Like that was our biggest issue was mm. oh, um, yeah. once we left draft right was finding good graphic designers. And we were able to get that with expand the box score. So if you want to be like really valuable in the sports world, being able to have like good regular people skills that can apply for other jobs like website design graphic design spreadsheet and data management seo um yeah heck, or even 
or even just being like a regular old researcher, because one of the things I did for this draft guide, which was way more of a pain in the butt than you would ever expect it to be, was I was the one who researched all the injury histories. Oh. If you wanna, if you wanna make, oh if you wanna God. make some people in this uh, in this industry impressed, to, uh, figure um. Start uh, Googling a f- Google future six round picks injury history and try to see if he tore his ACL in high school. Oh, that, yeah. That's the oh. kind of stuff that you can do to, to get yourself to get yourself noted is being able to gather information, organize information and um, be able to like uh, recognize um, trends and patterns. So, yeah. That's kind of why, because I'm probably going to be looking for some scouts to potentially join the team, and probably I'll be looking just as much as what a person can do outside of scouting as what they can do inside of scouting, because that stuff is so important. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. Is like, I'm I'm starting my own analytics company, and I was like, well, I need graphics, and I was like, well, <laughs> I'll just teach myself how to do them, because it's like it's so hard to, to find, you know, somebody. Who, who can do that on a regular basis, I think. It's so valuable being able to make graphics, you know. Before we get into defense, I got to ask you, first of all, did you see the Sage Rosenfels tweet? Oh, the Sage Rosenfels tweet about how only a 1,000 people really know yeah. what they're seeing when they're watching film. I My wanted sp- to know what you thought about that tweet because I kind of agree with it, and I kind of think that he's silly. Yeah, so here's 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 kind of the thing is when you um I was lucky enough to be able to get all 22 on almost all of the scout for pretty much every single scouting report that we watched. Um, that's like a really lucky blessing, and we just kind of lucked into it. Um, I know that's a privilege that most people don't have, and it's super valuable. But when you have all 22 film, um, you kind you start to recognize that football can be a complicated game. Like, yes, when you watch a play, you do not know exactly what that play is and exactly what that isn't. But there are so many context clues that you can kind of like gather around. Uh, For example, I kind of noticed that um, I did not give Dylan Moses a very good grade for instincts. And instincts is for a linebacker is one of the toughest things for me to evaluate because, you know, I'm still kind of learning defensive schemes. I'm still learning how to like watch a linebacker's eyes with the linebacker, like watching his steps and like, oh, is he keying on the guard? Is he keying on this? What is he looking at? I'm still kind of learning about this. But one of the things that I kind of figured out is I always noticed that Christian Harris, the linebacker right next to him, would always take his first into the uh, direction of the ball one step earlier than what Dylan Moses would. And that kind, and then I was just consistently able to recognize that. And then from that, I was able to use that as a context clue for this guy's a little bit slow to diagnose plays, or maybe he's pros, um, he's processing too much and thinking rather than playing. So, yes, I do not know what's going on in Dylan Moses's brain. I do not fully understand the complexities of like a cover seven defense, but I am good enough to be able to recognize hey, this guard is pulling right now. This is what a good bucket step looks like. This is not a very good bucket step. Or, right. oh, his feet look controlled here, but not very controlled here. I can still kind of pick up those clues. Yeah, I'm going to miss some very important key things. I'm going to miss a lot of very important things. Every scout is going to miss very, impo- uh, very important things as they kind of watch film and digest it. And yeah, maybe there are only like a thousand or so people who can really like watch film and pick up pretty much everything. Like, 
like if there's a thousand people, there's going to be people in the NFL who can't do this. Like, right, like we're not all Tony Romo, I think is kind of like what, you know, he's calling out plays. And I think the thing that I agreed with is, you know, this time of year, um, everyone on my timeline all of a sudden is watching the film, you know, like, oh, I watched the film. <laughs> and I'm like, well, did you just click on it? And it started playing. I mean, technically at that point you're watching the film, but are you like watching the film, you know, the way like Dane Brugler is watching the film? Like, that's kind of like where I, where I, I understand what Rosenfels is saying is that like everyone all of a sudden in this time of year has watched the film. And it's like, I think his point is kind of like, okay, but you're not really, you don't really know what to look for. Right. Like, you know what to look for because you just explained who taught you how to scout. I kind of know what to look for because I spent some time at the scouting academy. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I know that all of a sudden I get all these people who are like, oh, well, you know, I was watching the film on this guy and he looks fast. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I just wonder if like Rosenfels was kind of saying like, you can watch the film, but it doesn't necessarily mean like you know what you're what you're watching and what to look for you know exactly and another thing you have to do is you have to watch a lot of players and i'm still um i'm you, you know mark jarvis oh yeah I'm, I, lo- I love mark's database i don't know him personally but i found him like three years ago when yeah he was so doing, i um, love that yeah Jar- uh, mark jarvis is um is one of my uh uh, favorite people, one of my friends in, in the draft sphere. And one of the things he always talks to me about is um, how important it is to have a Rolo Dex of players. Like, let's say you're just starting scouting and you're watching a tight, uh, you know, like a mid to late round tight end and you watch him and you're like, wow, he looks fast. But this is like the, fir- the first or second tight end that you're watching. Like, if this is the second tight end you watch and the first tight end you watch was Dylan Soner out of Iowa State, who's practically a tackle, then yeah, this guy's going to look pretty <laughs> fast. So, right. being able to start scouting like lots and lots of players and not don't just scout like the, the players that everyone's talking about. Scout day three in high PFA players. Like when you're able to do that, uh, once you start watching your D'Angelo Amoses, the Mike Hamptons, the Peyton Ramseys, you really will begin to understand, like, you'll be able to see more of the good in the Kellen Mons and the Tony Poljans. And then you'll really start seeing the good in like the, the actual first round players. So being able to kind of get that Rolodex so you can actually kind of compare things. And honestly, I think, um, especially in like certain draft guides, uh, like the sports info solutions one, or um, like ones that are like done by like a large group of people who are mostly like younger. um, A lot of the younger scouts will tend to overgrade um, lower rounded prospects and high, uh, high PFAs. They'll be like, wow, I'm scouting the sleeper. I'm scouting Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Adams out of Arkansas state. And because I, I'm scouting him, this guy has to be the sleeper now because you know, I'm, I'm assigned <laughs> to him. Right. I get you. And yeah. And they'll, t- they'll tend to kind of um, anything that that guy does well, they'll really try to overblow it but if you can watch lots of people uh, lots of people you can kind of have like a better sense where each person kind of fits in into the draft guide and trust me like everybody kind of does uh does it me like i know i was hyping up dax mill and i essentially have like a third third fourth round grade <laughs> on him and i'm one of the very few people out there that do so i'm like did i overgrade him did i get a little too excited over those ball skills am i not uh right am i not punishing hard enough for his lack 
of athleticism. But yeah, scout lots of players, scout bad players, scout end of the um end of the draft players, be able to recognize the differences between them. That's probably one of the most important things that I think people should do. Yeah, that, that's great advice. I, I think that that's awesome. Um, speaking of first round players, let's take a look at. I know I think I sent you a couple defensive ends, edge players um, that have been popular with the Bills, um, <clears throat> Quidipay, Ojolari, and a guy who I think is rising a little bit, and that's Peyton Turner. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think we're pretty concerned with the age of the defensive ends with Addison and Hughes, and I know they took Epinesa last year. But this would be my choice. My choice at 30, you know, if, if, if a guy who fits is there, is, is I'd love to get a defensive end at 30. Um, so what are, your, what are your thoughts about the defensive ends and, and some guys who may fit, um, you know, the Bills sort of – not that I'm even really sure because I thought they wanted heavy-handed guys. And then Frazier came out and said that they don't, don't necessarily want heavy-handed guys and they're willing to take guys who are more bendy and more light. So now I'm not really sure what they're uh, – they're, their kind of uh, defensive end is other than they want good football players. All right. Well, if you want a good football player, Peyton Turner is a good football player. One of the things I'm most proud of in this guide is um, like, you know, you're doing really well with your scouting is if you're scouting a player and your, your grade is like three to four rounds higher than what the consensus is at the time. And then in three months when that draft media actually starts getting to watching the film and listening to prospects, that player rises. We had this Peyton Turner report done in like November with him having a a late first, early second round grade, which at the time he was barely being talked about. He, I think he just got tweeted out by Jim Nagy as a a potential riser and our um, scout watched him and was like, this guy has some really, really good traits. I think the, um, the thing, reason Peyton Turner really didn't have any hype coming into the year was the guy's pretty, was pretty injury prone, had a pretty long injury history before this and never really dominated in college. So he's kind of like a late breakout guy, but he just came in this year, has great size and how advanced he was, was pretty much what caught our scout most off guard. Um, just in great hand usage is able to kind of uh, use a pass rush move and then use like a pass rush move that is a counter to the previous one. Like, oh, he'll like bait the offensive lineman into thinking it's move A and then hit him with move B for a pressure. And that's like something that you usually don't see from college defensive linemen. That's usually something they learn from the, in the NFL. Like you just kind of have like your power move and your speed move. And like, you just, it's, it's pretty complicated to like learn like essentially a martial art in uh, football. So, yes, we really do like Peyton Turner. And if you're looking for kind of a more uh, bigger, longer um, type player, he could definitely be definitely be the guy. Instinct could he still use some uh, still use some work. There is some kind of issues with um, him in uh, the level of competition. He did beat Brady Christensen's butt on a couple of reps. He was like one of the only people to do that. But, yeah, Peyton Turner is that um, is one of those late risers who, yeah if he were to get taken or like uh, the pick 30 that I don't really think that's out of the question. Yeah. I think he's got kind of the size. I'm pretty sure, you know, I think they're comfortable with anywhere from a guy from 250 to 275. So I think he fits the size and yeah, I, like I said, he's a guy who's who all of a sudden came out of nowhere and everyone's talking about him. 
You're not and, looking for a nine tech for the Bills, are you? Because uh, we, we kind of pr- project him a little bit more as like a five tech, kind, um, almost like a three, four defensive end, we think would almost be his like prefer, uh, best position. Right. I mean, I'm not really sure. I know, and I know too that they really like a lot of versatility, you know, like they like to rotate guys through. Um, so I don't know if they'd be looking for that exactly, but I, I, I love guys who come out of college and who already have counter moves. Cause I think that's, that's the one thing that's a little underrated, you know, that, that people don't realize is really important. Yeah. What is it? Ankle flexion and counter moves are probably the two like next level scouting things. If you can, if you feel that like a guy, uh, a edge rusher can't move his ankles and that when he's uh, bull rushing, he's on his toes and he can't get his, the, uh, the top half of his heel on the ground when trying to, uh, what, what do they call it? Running, uh, running the circle, running the hoop. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, then that, that's definitely kind of an issue, and that's kind of one of the main differences is just lower body flexibility, how well um, they can uh, contort in those, in those situations where they really need to kind of like bend and get themselves to the quarterback. Uh, another guy that we're higher on than most people is Joseph Asai. We, um, he's definitely kind of more of like a three, four outside linebacker type build a, li- a little bit smaller. If you're going to ask him to put his hand in the ground and move like to uh, like have him go up against tackles every play that may not be the best position for him, but he is an excellent pass rusher. And I, we really do not think he's been getting enough credit really young. And obviously like we have an eight here. Eight is pretty much the highest grade in our book right now because um, nobody got a nine. Nine is you're the best in the NFL at this trait from day one. And nobody in the, uh, this draft class is the best in the NFL at what they do year one. Uh, <laughs> no, no Henry Ruggs is for speed this year or Lamar Jackson's <laughs> mobility. But yeah, this guy hustles. Like, this, like if there is an outside zone play uh, going to the right and he's on the left, he will chase – he will – chase him down the line. Oh, he breaks a tackle. He's going to chase him down the field and can get a tackle 10, 20 yards down the field. He just plays with that kind of intense fire that you absolutely want in your young players. And I think that's kind of one of the things that uh, kind of separates him from like the rest of these like second tier edge rushers, because most likely Quiddy Pay. Olajari, maybe even Jason, uh, Jason Owe, who we really mm-hmm. like as well. I think there's a good chance they're going to be gone by pick 30. But Joseph Asai could very well still be there in round one, or maybe he even slips into round two. Yeah, but he's a guy that we really like, and we think he would be like a fan favorite for just for kind of like the uh, energy that he can bring to a defense. And he's really good at rushing the passer so high energy can rush the passer oh he's a little not doesn't have like ideal size and still needs to work on his instincts I think that's the kind of player you want to take in round one right and that's the thing that coaches are going to say okay well we can teach him that we can get him in our weight room you know we can we can bulk him up a little bit stuff like that um maybe some you know like round three like like round four guys I know the the kid from Duke Another another name I'm not going to try and pronounce on uh, the podcast. Victor Dimakeje. There you go. Look look at that. I can even give you uh, Levi Anzarike. Oh, oh, man. All right. I'm showing off now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey. 
Yeah, uh, what is it? That's one of the things that we kind of like about this draft class is there's just so many guys in uh, like the third to fourth round and they all kind of have like a similar profile. Like just clicking through this, like this range, so many people just have like a six for pass rush skills. Like so many guys know how to get to the pass or Ronnie Perkins uh, six for pass rush skills. And so there's just a lot of different options for you to kind of like take if you're looking for kind of a rotational pass rusher. Uh, you can kind of go like the pure, the pure pass rusher route and take like a 235 right. pound guy and Chris <laughs> Rumpf, who's got all the pass rushing skills and incredible first step, but lacks play strength and block shedding and pretty much can't be on the field against the run. Or you can, you know, kind of take a look, maybe somebody a little bit more rounded, uh, like Rashad Weaver, who has really good um, pass rush skills, amazing hand usage and block shedding, but, you know, just doesn't have like that pure athleticism, doesn't really get off the ball as well. So his potential might be able to be kind of capped at being a four to six sack guy who is um, who's going to get you 70 plus PFF grades against the run. Any of these, any of these guys that, uh, you're interested in hearing more about um, Cam Samples a riser. Yeah, uh, people I've heard a lot of people, friends of mine in the podcasting community, uh Joe Tryon's a name that I've been hearing thrown around in the last two weeks or so. Yeah, Joe Tryon, he was an opt-out this year. And um if as you see, his number one thing that he's good on is his hand usage. Uh, yeah, here's, here's a statement. He can counter well off of his bull rush with smooth, quick hands to swim and has the body control to get skinny between his blockers. So he kind of has that advanced usage of his hands, but, you know, he's got to get his instincts better. He doesn't really have a good understanding of, uh, of where plays are going. Yeah, it says he can, he's susceptible to being out leveraged and driven out of a play, um, I mean, if you're rush, if you think a play is a pass and you're rushing up the field and it's a run, you're going to be leaving your gap wide open, and that's kind of something that Tryon kind of had trouble uh, trouble with. So, I mean, if you're gonna, if you think you can fix that with him, then yeah, you kind of have a player who's definitely worth taking taking a third, fourth rounder on. But I think there might be better options in like the second round that you guys right. can look towards. Um. <clears throat> Okay, there. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's two more things um, defensive backfield-wise. And that, of course, is everyone's favorite conversation in the Bills Mafia, which is the big nickel. And I know that players who play the big nickel come from anywhere. Obviously, everybody wants Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. A lot of people are all over Hamza Nasrallah-Dean. And then I know that there's, um, you know, like a guy like Jabril Cox, maybe even, so what are your thoughts either on those guys or some other guys who maybe maybe fit that bill um, for the Bills? I doubt – I mean, they'll take a Wusa Cormoa in the first, but aside from that, I don't think they'd, they'd look for that. Um, you know, in the first round, that would be my guess. Yeah, Big Nickel is kind of like one of those positions that I feel that fans and media people tend to like more than in the actual NFL. It's like everybody kind of like talks up and hypes up Jeremy Chin. But like I feel there's been so many of these types of players that come in and they have like a lot of buzz and excitement. Like 
I feel that Jabril Peppers, even though he's been like a starting safety his whole career, has never really lived up to that kind of like hype that was kind of like brought out to him. Sua Cravens was supposed to be a big thing and he never really panned out, albeit there was some um, uh, mental health kind of concerns there and some stuff out of his control. And while Jeremy Chin did really well, like we didn't really see as much out of uh, Kyle Duggar. So the thing with those big nickel or those I think when you mean big nickel you're almost referring to the linebacker safety hybrid right yeah yeah sure like a um you know like Shaq Thompson right from the Panthers which McDermott drafted while he was there just those those guys who can who can kind of you know I guess play all over the field if you need him to right like you can hopefully he can cover Travis Kelsey but obviously he can play in the box if if needed just a kind of all-around sort of, you know, the positionless guy. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams are starting to go to that, like, third safety, right? Like, the Chiefs use it. Tampa uses it a lot. Ooh, yeah. I mean, the list of players who can, one, cover Travis Kelsey is very small. And then the oh, list yeah, of people no. <laughs> who can cover Travis Kelsey and still be able to be, like, good in the box is even smaller. Uh, right. I, and another thing with, like, those really versatile players is they need to be very smart and heady. Um, what, look, think about Isaiah Simmons. He barely played at all in the first couple of games because, right. oh, we have this guy. He can be a jack of all trades. He can cover wide receivers. He can stop the run. He could. He has a four four forty or whatever. But that doesn't matter if the guy um, the guy has too much is having to focus too much mentally. And learning a position in the NFL is hard. There are so many reads. Now imagine all right. of that, but imagine having to do that at like multiple positions right. and have different reads and different responsibilities. So I feel that there's a little bit of a romanticization of that position because it's kind of cool. It's kind of hybrid. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's- I think definitely people are like, oh man, all we got to do is get this guy in and Travis Kelsey won't catch any balls. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's yeah. definitely one of those easier, easier said than done type things, but I get what you're saying. And those players are, are kind of fun, but definitely temper the expectations. Definitely kind of realize that hey you gotta make the re you can't have this player be a corner and you have to kind of make the rules um the rules and his reads as simple as possible for him or or the guy's just not going to get out on the field because he's going to be thinking rather than playing so um i guess the first hybrid guy that we can talk about is talanoa hafenga we actually graded him as a linebacker um which is pretty wild considering he's barely, he's like 200 pounds, if that. Oh, really? And uh, what we loved about him was we loved just his motor and how well he can, uh, how well he pursues and how well he blitzes. Um, But he just didn't really seem to be like a good enough athlete in in space to be like a true Travis Kelsey kind of cover person. So he just kind of almost feels like a small linebacker who is is in that tweener role. Uh, Definitely will be a good kind of like special teams player just because, like I said, if you love football and you play like you love football like Hafanga does and you know your angles and you're always chasing after guys, there's always going to be a spot on the team for you. Right. But that's not, he's not going to be a guy that you're just going to be want to cover Travis Kelsey and (laughs) you'll be fine. (laughs) If you're, um, what is it? If you're covering, I don't know, Austin Hooper then maybe, but yeah, you're not covering Darren Waller or Kelsey or 
uh, anybody of, of that nature with Hafanga. And that's going to be like a recurring theme with a lot of these guys. Uh, Jabril Cox is definitely one of the best pass coverage linebackers, but we were a little bit, um, a little bit more concerned about just him in the run game. Uh, didn't really like his instincts as much as um, most people did and um, didn't really see him as much as that threat. So he's kind of like in that weird spot where he's bigger than Hafanga, but Hafanga does the bigger boy things than he does when Jabril Cox does better with the smaller guy things. So Jabril Cox would definitely have more of the upside because he has kind of that size and it would be easier to teach him how to get big than um, to get big while he plays big than to teach Hafanga to get bigger. I gotcha. So, yeah, he kind of has experience uh, in the slot from the linebacker position. Uh, I'm trying to think of who who else we really liked as a um, pass uh, coverage corner. If you really want, like, a day three special team sleeper who might, uh, might see some action on defense, somebody like Tony Fields. Uh, Tony Fields is six foot, 222, smaller guy, which is always plays like his hair is on fire. Um, definitely is going to have special teams potential and actually shows really good pass coverage instincts for like a big 12. Um, well, I mean, you're going to need to, if you're going to be a linebacker in the big 12, <laughs> so right. just a uh, good awareness of like his zones and just going to be one of those guys who's just going to play really hard. Uh, Grant Stewart is similar. Uh, I remember seeing him. Uh, he did not look like a linebacker at the senior bowl. He almost kind of looked like a small running back. Again, plays with his hair on fire, all, is always going to give you his all, going to be a great special teamer. And if he can kind of apply that speed and turn that into coverage ability, then, yeah, he might be a guy who can stay on the field um, on passing downs as a linebacker. All right. So I'll make sure to tell, uh, tell the mafia that, that <clears throat> temper their expectations on this big nickel role, everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we do like Hamza Nasseroladine, but like still, just because he's big and kind of fast, if I do remember correctly, his hips aren't the smoothest, uh, um, as, as smooth as we might like. Um, but yeah, what you're kind of looking for is a unicorn and something everybody wants. And Right. Yeah, there's a reason that Travis Kelsey and those big tight ends are so special is because there are so few people who are out there that can cover them. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So talking more about coverage, I think the, the thing that the Bills fans have been clamoring for for two years now is to get Levi Wallace. Not that we don't like Levi Wallace because he, you know, walk on Alabama – Undrafted free agent. He started for two years on the Bills defense, which is impressive. But people really want a more athletic cornerback next to Trey White. Um, you know, obviously the, the names have been thrown around. Uh, Melifonwu from uh, Syracuse, Greg Newsom, guys like that. So take us through some of the, the cornerbacks that you guys, you, th- you think might be available there at 30 or, or maybe even, you know, some day two guys um, that, that you like or that people maybe don't talk about that much? Take the shot on Caleb Farley. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, if he like, I mean, yeah, if he falls because of the injury, I, you know, I think we all want that guy. 
Yeah, I mean, if you if you want an athletic corner, he was the guy. He was our number one rated corner based off of like uh, tape grade and like overall potential. Uh, we did give him a, uh, a an injury risk designation because he right. has an, like multiple back surgeries is is a risk. It, it yeah, is. yeah. Um, but so if you're just looking at tape, he's probably the best corner in, in the league. Um, Greg Newsom and Afitu Melifanwu are two guys that we think are media guys. Uh, yeah. We were not as impressed with Newsom as the rest of the um, country was. He's now getting like first round designation, but we just thought he was uh, an all around good, but not, he never really did anything great type of corner. As you can see, he's pretty much everything he has is sixes and fives. He doesn't really have any weaknesses, but he doesn't really have any incredible, uh, incredible strengths. Um, while people are starting to view him as like a second round, uh, first, first round lock, we still kind of have him in the second round. Uh, Afitu Melifanwu is another guy that we feel is getting a little overhyped. It's like he's big, but he doesn't play big. He has, he just doesn't play like he should. Yes, he's got incredible speed and agility at 205 pounds. Like having a seven and being 205 pounds is just, that is really, really great. But yeah, coverage is great. But all of like the things underneath here that you're going to still need to do as a corner, he definitely needs to become more well-rounded and is much more of a project than I think people are giving him uh, credit for or, or are faulting him for. Um, and I noticed I noticed that that you've got Sean Wade. Oh yes. Now this is you guys are like the only people I've seen who have Sean Wade this high. I don't know if anyone else has him this high. And the NFL does. Yeah, you think so? Oh, I think yeah. So here's the thing. Here's the thing with Sean Wade that people don't know. He was um he he had groin surgery before the season. And he was battling with a turf toe throughout the season. And the other interesting thing I noticed about Sean Wade is pretty much the only times I saw him getting beat were kind of like the highlight plays where everybody saw him getting beat. So, but on most plays, he stayed on the hip pocket of his, of his guy. He's still a very fast, very athletic corner. He's got great size, great speed, and he still can cover in man and zone. Like, the traits are still there. Like, yeah, Dotson, uh, Dotson mossed him a couple times, and he doesn't really have the best ball skills. But why wouldn't you take a chance on a guy who is his size and still runs 4-4 and played very, very well in 2019 from the slot? So I think teams are going to kind of view this 2020 season as kind of like a mulligan, as kind of, okay, he was playing hurt, he was doing his best, but he didn't have the same juice in his legs. But I, I was just going to ask you that. Like, if they'd be like, well, you know, weird year. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We saw you do it in 2019, so... But yeah, that is kind of the issue that he is probably going to need to be a slot corner because he did not really he did not really show very good press uh, press kind of skills in the um, on the outside. Um, but yeah, I really think the the Sean Wade demise has been kind of very over exaggerated, and I still wouldn't be surprised if he gets taken in the second round. I mean, why wouldn't you take a shot at that guy who played as well as he did in 2019 and still kind of has those baselines, cornerback one, height, weight, and speed? I right. think he is a player that is absolutely worth a shot in this uh, in the second round, and uh, 
he still does have a chance at being an outside corner in the future. You just got to work on that press a little bit. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the community's fading Sean Wade too hard. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. What about Adebo? Cause Adebo is another guy who I, f- I feel like 2019 again, right? Like he's kind of a guy who, who looked really good in 2019. And then he's kind of sort of, I don't want to say he's, he's fallen out of favor. Oh no. He, he looked really good in 2018. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He my looked bad. good in 2018. Yeah, right. And then in 2019, he kind of took a step back in 2020. He opted out. Right. So right. we have excellent play from him way back there. So this is even more of a projection, but yeah, the same kind of underlying things are still there is you have the baseline height, six, one weight around 200 pounds, coverage skills check. And unlike, uh, unlike Wade, he actually kind of has the ball skills. So again, you're kind of in a position where you're just projecting. You really need to have faith in your coach that he can kind of become the 2018 version of himself and even a better version of that because he's going to be going against much better wide receivers. But yeah, he's absolutely somebody I think you should take a look at throwing a dart at at the third round. But yeah, like I said, it's a projection. And when you don't, when right. his tape hasn't been good since 2019 and he does i believe have the uh injuries like yeah yeah he's he's definitely an upside guy uh i have another interesting guy for you how much do you know about uh kelvin joseph i'm gonna be honest that that's a name that i don't know a lot about okay so um kelvin joseph uh aka ykdv boss man fat we'll oh okay the- Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, He's a redshirt sophomore, so he wasn't really considered on uh, on the board. But then uh, at one point, Melvin uh, Mel Kuyper gave him a first round grade late, like a high first, low uh, low second, and it's like, whoa, who on earth is this guy? And he was an LSU defensive back who transferred under mysterious circumstances, and then went uh, went to Kentucky, and he just kind of balled out this year. He was one of the few people to actually kind of have a grip on covering um, Devontae Smith. As an athlete, he has like everything that you need. Um, everything you need. He's he's smart. He's fast. He's got the uh, got the regular size that you're looking for. Um, the issue seemed to be uh, off the field. The reason he declared early was the coaches were kind of tired of dealing with him, and he, they told him, "Hey, you should probably go to the NFL." Yeah, like you're really talented. Like <laughs> get on out of here. You're kind of annoying us. Um, and yes, he is also a, a rapper. Um, YKD something is his, uh, Bossman Fat is his rapper name. Not sure how familiar you are with the hip hop community. Well, that's great. He'd fit right in because Cole Beasley is a rapper. Oh my goodness. I don't, I have a feeling that they're, they wouldn't be the exact same type of rapper. They though. could do co- collabs, man. Cole Beasley's got like three rap albums. Good for him, dude. I'm, yeah. I'm actually kind of excited. I actually kind of need to hear this. But um, <laughs> he's on Spotify. I'm serious. Yep. Um, well, this guy has eight albums. Oh my god. That's... Yes, he has more a, a larger discography than Kendrick Lamar and Eminem almost. Like, what's going on, this guy? Uh, yes. So, um, 
Apparently, the trend in his air uh, in his area in the South is apparently rapper names are now a letter that starts with Y, then a whole bunch of other letters, and that that usually stands uh, stands for something. So, like a string of letters, and then your rapper name, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what he does. And apparently, the there are definitely questions about his maturity and the, the people that he hangs out with. Right. Um, right. And yeah, obviously, like leaving LSU under um, mysterious but not very positive circumstances, and not being very well liked by his coaches was kind of an uh, kind of an a deal. And while we do, I think that there is going to be some like um, sighing at like, oh my gosh, well, why are we concerned that he's like a rapper? But the <laughs> rap community, the rap community that he is kind of in. Um, I, uh, he's from Baton Rouge, and uh, I don't know how much the, my our listeners will know about hip hop, but he is very reminiscent of another rapper, uh, NBA Youngboy, who's very uh, very popular. Um, they're both from this, uh, both from the same area, same same sound, and like a lot of those rappers, have had lots of issues with the uh, laws in and in and out of jails. Right. I don't know how how much they're kind of like connected, but definitely like the subjects in the matters that he is. Um, because I actually did. That's part of my scouting report. Oh, you, I listened you, to his rap. Yeah. I listened to his <laughs> rap album, and I definitely kind of wonder if scouts are going to be listening to this and being like, he's not actually dealing with guns, is he? Like, so. Right. Right. Um, there, there is kind of that issue, but if like, if the maturity issues like pass by and it's like, okay, I'm getting my money now. I know I need to be serious then you're going to get an absolute steal. But, uh, if not, you're going to be in with quite the character with this guy. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure how much Sean McDermott, uh, <laughs> is listening to the, to the, the rap, uh, the rap oh, he, records. So. Oh, he's de- he's definitely had to have heard some NBA Young Boy. That's what a lot of the athletes play in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm sure that he, he he probably just doesn't know that he's heard it. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, that's that's probably the uh, thing. I do kind of wonder, like, how many rappers Bill Belichick knows just by being in the locker room. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I think he plays dumb a lot of the time with the stuff that he says. Like. Hmm. Um. So before before we wrap this up, is there any any other players you you want to mention here? Um, hmm. uh, we have a, a bit of a stronger grade on Elijah Griffin, Warren G's son. If we want to keep the wrapping it up, whoa, going. Warren G's son, sign me up for that. Yep. Um, the, uh, really, really bad injury history, but I know you guys play zone, and he's about one of the one of the smoothest zone corners that you got this year. Uh, great zone coverage, good ball skills, can get you some picks. Just he's a, he's a little frail at six foot 175 and would need to become a better tackler to see consistent playing time. And uh, I know you were talking about kick returner, so we can't, uh, can't go on without talking about Avery Williams, the best special teamer in this draft. I think he's got like five block kicks, multiple kick returns for wow. a touchdown. He's the best special teamer in this class, and he's the best special teamer to come out in a long time. Yeah, I mean, the Bill, man, the Bills are all about the special teams. They they put a lot of work in there. They they sign special team specific guys. Like they're very serious about that. Yeah, so I think Avery Williams should. Have, um, I've been hearing people on Twitter saying this is the guy that he's going to be on every team's like day three wish list. Mm-hmm. So even though as a corner he might be kind of like an uh, like a 
seventh round high PFA guy. He's just kind of got that attitude. He's kind of got that juice on special teams that every team will know that if they draft this guy, he's going to be on the team for the, his entire contract, barring injuries, just due to his special teams play. So that's, that's absolutely a guy that you should be looking at. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. That's awesome. That, that's good to know. Cause I think we neglect kind of, right. We neglect the day three stuff a lot of the time and the, the uh, undrafted free agent and stuff like that. But, but these are guys who can really make a difference. I mean, the bills got uh, Daryl Johnson defensive end. He's a four face special teamer. He was a seventh round pick a couple of years ago. So yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on with me today, man. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot of stuff that I did that I didn't know. Absolutely. And you can buy the uh, draft guide that we looked at. As you've seen, we have like 378 scouting reports. Yeah. Tell all, all the people them, yeah. where, where they can find you, where they can find expand the box score, all that stuff. Okay. I'm going to need to find my mouse. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I have bought their draft guide and it's very awesome. I'm gonna, uh, I'll be sharing some screenshots from this um, on my Twitter account as well. Awesome. Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be at expandthebox.com. Uh, expand the, uh, expand the, the draft guide is, um, the, uh, the draft guide is $12. You get all, one second, it's loading. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen eventually. Well, that's all right. Yep, so you're going to get all these reports. And one of the things I'm most proud of is that, as you can see, our one of our last players or take like a guy like Thomas Graham or um, Avery Williams, Avery Williams and Thomas Graham have just as much detail and care put into them as Trevor Lawrence does. So for those day three guys that you've never heard of, and you want to know how they play and what their strengths or weaknesses are, we have them. If you want to know the injury histories of, of players, all the players in the draft, I did the research on that. That was, uh, that's why I mentioned injury history. Cause I was the one who did that. And it was a pain. It was very, very difficult. We, uh, we have that we've got long snapper in kicker and punter rankings. Oh, like, wow. We have got pro day results. Like we've literally put everything you could possibly want in a draft guide and we kept it online to keep costs down. So if we were to put this in like a book, this would obviously be like really expensive. Um, yeah. 12 bucks, everything you could possibly want. Um, all the reports have been like uh, looked through by mul- uh, multiple people. And yeah, we put a lot of work in this. This was our giant quarantine project. And we'd, we'd, love, for, we'd love for your support. And we'd love for any, uh, any input. Yeah. And Bill's Mafia, you will be supporting a member of the Mafia because they have a member of the mafia on their scouting staff. Yeah, two of them. Uh, what is it? We have uh, Shiana Renchkowski. Yeah. Uh, are the, she is uh, the one gal on our team. She <laughs> has been incredible. She has grown so much as, uh, so much as a scout. She, she, like, she had her graduation pictures taken at the Bills Stadium. She, <laughs> she, lo- she loves the Bills. And then our other guy, Britton Mann, is also – Oh, Britton um, works for you guys. That's awesome. I know yeah, Britton. So, so, yes, that's like – Two uh, two Bills fans and only one Browns fan and no Patriots fans <laughs> that I know of. You're there not are no Patri- Yeah, no Patriots fans were uh, involved in the making <laughs> of this book. And yeah, we we worked really hard on it. We put all the information uh, all the information that you need. We've got like the fe- uh, features that I like listed and uh, athletic success indicator, which I kind of have up here while it's frozen. That we have like a statistician on the team who uh, who uh, built this and um, 
he's actually like talked with some people in the uh, analytics people in the NFL and they said that, yeah, this is really similar to what we use um, to try to evaluate athleticism. So learn about injuries, athleticism, what you see on tape, what their schemes are, what you need to learn, learn about. Cause there's lots of stuff when you watch players that you don't know about it. And we, and we, we point that out if there's stuff that we don't know, I'd say it's the best draft guide on the market because I'm biased towards it, but yeah, I work so hard and be on it and be really amazing. If you guys could purchase that. Yeah, man. And like I said, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate and, it. And uh, my uh, personal Twitter will be, is at the football because I'm Paul and I like football. So I am the football and uh, expand the box score on Twitter is at X T box score. So expand the box score X T box score. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I'd like to thank Paul Duncan from expand the box score for coming on the show today. I encourage you guys to check out him on Twitter, check out expand the box score. They have a great draft guide, which I have bought. It's only $12. I hope that you guys will check out the rest of the great podcasts on the built in Buffalo podcast network. I hope you will check out our YouTube channel. Like I said earlier, I have a show with my co-host Izzy on Friday nights. There's a Tuesday show, a Saturday show, a lot of great things at Built in Buffalo. We're really starting to expand our content creation and the frequency which the content comes out, which is awesome. It's a great bunch of people. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would hope that you would subscribe to the podcast, give a rating, give a review. It really means a lot to us. It helps other Bills fans find the podcast so that they can get this great content as well. If you're watching the YouTube shows, I encourage you to hit the like button, leave us a comment, tell us how we can do better, give us more topics to talk about. We want the fans to engage with us. We want to engage with the Bills Mafia. We're always looking to do that. You can follow the Built in Buffalo Twitter at Built in Buffalo underscore. Follow me on Twitter at Charlie underscore gross underscore. And, of course, I cannot leave you, Mafia, without telling you that there's two weeks to go before the draft. And during this time, the best thing that we can do is find a way to embrace our growth mindset. And, as always, trust the process.